Hi. In this episode of How We Got Here, we're going to look at Israel and its enemies. The land of Israel has been the Hebrew homeland since Abraham and Moses. In the year 135 AD, after the Bar Kokhba revolt, Roman Emperor Hadrian attempted to erase the memory of Jews from history by renaming Judea Syria Palestina. So that is where the name Palestine came from. Arab Muslims began conquering the Holy Land in the year 637 AD, which was later conquered by the Turks in the 11th century, who occupied it for the next 700 years. When World War I began, Sultan Abdul Hamid II made an Ottoman-German alliance with Kaiser Wilhelm II, as Turkey needed German rifles and Germany needed Turkish oil. The Turks committed an Armenian genocide, as depicted in the 2016 movie The Promise, starring Christian Bale. Britain industrialized with Winston Churchill, switching the British Navy from coal to oil. Britain and Iran formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company in 1908. It was later renamed British Petroleum, or BP. So Germany got oil from Turkey, Britain got oil from Iran. As World War I progressed, the British grew short of ammunitions. A Russian-born Jewish chemist named Chaim Wiseman developed a bacterial fermentation process of ethanol to butanol to acetone, which greatly helped Britain in manufacturing explosives. In gratitude, Britain's Foreign Secretary, Lord Arthur Balfour, offered Wiseman honors, but instead he requested a Jewish homeland. Lord Balfour issued the Balfour Declaration November 2, 1917, granting land that the British had acquired from the Ottoman Empire to the Jews. Balfour stated February 7, 1918, my personal hope is that the Jews will make good in Palestine and eventually found a Jewish state. It is up to them now. We have given them their great opportunity. The Balfour Declaration gave an area called the British Mandate to the Jews, stretching from Lebanon and Syria in the north to Egypt and Arabia in the south, from the Mediterranean Sea in the east to Iraq in the west. Balfour was influenced by an evangelical Christian movement originating from America's Second Great Awakening revival called Millennialism, which saw the Jewish return to their homeland as a necessary fulfillment of Bible prophecy preceding Christ's return. This movement supported Theodore Herzl's first Zionist Congress in 1897. A notable attendee at the Zionist Congress was Henry Dunant, founder of the International Red Cross, and the first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. The British plan for the Jews to have a homeland was thrown into confusion by a British Lieutenant T.E. Lawrence. During World War I, Lawrence was sent on a reconnaissance mission to see if Arabs of Arabia could be recruited to help the British defeat the Ottoman Turks. Lawrence helped persuade the Sharif of Mecca, Ali al-Hashimi, to declare the Great Arab Revolt against the Turkish Empire in 1916. The British then funneled a million gold francs to pay Bedouin tribes to fight. This was depicted in the 1962 movie Lawrence of Arabia, starring Peter O'Toole as Lawrence and Alec Guinness as King Fazl. Unbeknownst to the British government, Lawrence had made unauthorized promises 
that if the Arabs helped the British defeat the Turks, they would get all the land in the Middle East, not the French or the English. Lawrence admitted in his book, Seven Pillars of Wisdom, 1922, had I been an honest advisor of the Arabs, I would have advised them to go home and not risk their lives fighting for such stuff. I risked the fraud on my conviction that Arab help was necessary to our cheap and speedy victory in the East, and that better we win and break our word than lose. Lawrence added, for being a successful trickster and to prevent this unpleasantness arising, I began in my reports to conceal the true stories of things. The British broke similar promises to the Kurds, who were promised land if they helped fight the Turks, but instead they were left as minorities in Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. Why is this important? Because the present-day Arab claims to the land in the Middle East are based on Lawrence of Arabia's unauthorized promises. Yet the Jewish claim to the same land is based on the official authorized declaration of Lord Balfour. For their part, the British government did recognize the Sharif al-Hashimi's third son, King Fazl, as king of Iraq, though he also wanted to be king of Syria. Fazl welcomed Jews back to their ancient land. Attending the Paris Peace Conference in 1919, Fazl wrote, We feel that Arabs and Jews are cousins in having suffered similar oppressions at the hands of powers stronger than themselves. We Arabs, especially the educated among us, look with the deepest sympathy on the Zionist movement. We will wish the Jews a most hearty welcome home. In 1920, a hastily convened San Remo conference gave France a mandate to oversee post-war Syria. France immediately expelled Fazl, leaving him only the king of Iraq. Fazl's brother, Abdullah, Sharif al-Hashimi's second son, planned to mount an attack, but Winston Churchill persuaded him not to, agreeing instead to recognize Abdullah as king of the land east of the Jordan River, land they had previously given to the Jews. It was called Jordan. In 1922, the British made another about-face with the White Papers, limiting Jewish resettlement. Paul Newman starred in the 1960 movie Exodus, which depicted this. The British pressured Sharif al-Hashimi to a treaty, but when he balked, the British withdrew their support and allowed Abdul Aziz ibn Saud to take control of Arabia, overthrowing al-Hashimi's oldest son, King Ali of Hejaz, in 1924. Aziz ibn Saud was Wahhabi. Lawrence of Arabia described in his Seven Pillars of Wisdom, 1922, the Wahhabis, followers of a fanatical Muslim heresy, had imposed their strict rules. Everything was forcibly pious and forcibly puritanical. William McCants, Brookings Institute scholar, wrote, Saudis promote a very toxic form of Islam that draws sharp lines between a small number of true believers and everyone else Muslim and non-Muslim. In other words, Wahhabis are just as apt to kill a moderate, peaceful Muslim as they are to kill a non-Muslim. The Wahhabi followers followed the Salafi teachings of a harsh literalist interpretation of the Quran. 
with a goal of establishing a one-world government called a caliphate. Since Mecca is in Arabia, and one of the five pillars of Islam is for believers to make pilgrimage there, Muslims from around the world, beginning in 1924, came to Mecca where they were infected with Wahhabism. Wahhabi beliefs spawned all of the modern fundamentalist groups, such as the Muslim Brotherhood, founded in 1928 by Hassan Albana and six workers of the Suez Canal Company. The Muslim Brotherhood stated, Allah is our objective. The Quran is our constitution. The prophet is our leader. Jihad is our way. Death, for the sake of Allah, is the highest of our aspirations. The Muslim Brotherhood supported Amin al-Hassini, the Mufti of Jerusalem, who met with Hitler during World War II and supplied Muslim troops to fight along, alongside the Nazis. The Mufti's nephew, Yasser Arafat, founded the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, in 1964, with the help of Moscow and the KGB. Saudi Arabia was mostly sand and of little worth until 1937, when John D. Rockefeller's Standard Oil Company discovered oil. An Arabian-American oil company was formed, Aramco, and within a few decades, Saudi Arabia went from the poorest Muslim country to the richest. This, this resulted in a realignment of world politics. Saudis enticed Western businesses and politicians. King Abdul Aziz Ibn Saud practiced polygamy, having many wives and 45 sons. With his new wealth, he spread Wahhabism to other countries. Then there was World War II. Millions of Jews were killed. Near the end of the war, Roosevelt met with British Prime Minister Churchill and Soviet leader Stalin at the Yalta Conference, February 4 to 11. 1945. This was to decide how to divide up post-war Europe. Then Roosevelt, on his way back, in just in his feeble condition, just a few months before he dies, he stops off on the USS Quincy and meets with the Arab king, King Abdul Aziz Ibn Saud. <clears throat> And so the date was February 14, 1945. Roosevelt's intention was purportedly to persuade the Saudi king to support Jewish immigration to Palestine. King Abdul slaughtered a goat on deck for their meal and then derided the Jews and then pressured Roosevelt to scale back his support of a Jewish homeland. King Aziz then made an oil for security agreement where the United States would supply military assistance, training, and build a military base in Arabia in exchange for the U.S. having secure access to Saudi oil. The Saudi king followed up with a letter to Roosevelt, and Roosevelt wrote back April 5, 1945, promising that the U.S. would not recognize a Jewish state. One week later, Roosevelt had died of his illnesses. <clears throat> the next president, Harry S. Truman, immediately recognized Israel. The story is that Britain, who had oversight of Palestine since World War I, grew frustrated with the Arab-Israeli tensions. Britain Foreign Minister Ernst Bevan declared, England is going to leave on May 15, 1948. We give the problem to the United Nations. The UN solution was a partition plan of an Arab state and a Jewish state. Israeli leader Ben Gurion accepted it, 
but Arabs refused, leaving it up to the United Nations General Assembly to decide. It looked as though the U.S. did not favor the plan. Israeli leader Chaim Weizmann traveled to Washington, D.C. to meet with President Truman, who declined. Then Eddie Jacobson, Truman's longtime Jewish friend, placed a call. Mr. President, Harry, you've got to do me this one favor. See this tired old man? He's come halfway across the world to see you. Just give him a few minutes of your time. Truman agreed. Wiseman told him, you have the opportunity of the ages. If you'll stay strong, you'll go down in history for all eternity. Truman was impressed with Wiseman and agreed to support the new state of Israel. On midnight, May 14th, the modern state of Israel came into being and was immediately recognized by the United States and the Soviet Union. On May 15, 1948, the United Nations voted to recognize the state of Israel. The next day, Israel was attacked. They were attacked by Egypt, Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, the Arab Legion, and the Transjordanian Army. Against all odds, Israel survived. In 1949, the armistice agreement between Israel and her enemies was negotiated by Ralph Bunch, the first African-American to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. On November 29, 1948, President Truman wrote to Dr. Chaim Wiseman, the first president of Israel, I want to tell you how happy and impressed I've been at the remarkable progress made by the new state of Israel. I remember well our conversations about the Negev, and I deplore any attempt to take it away from Israel. I had thought that my position would have been clear to all the world, particularly in light of the specific wording of the Democrat Party platform. This discussion of Israel and her enemies will be continued in another episode of how we got here. But I hope this background gives you an enlightenment as to what is going on today. God bless you.